0: It's so good to be here with you this morning. I feel so humbled and grateful to be with you. And I just want to start out by jumping right in to a word. Here. Dear Lord, I come to you with this feeling of a bit of heaviness this morning. And yet I feel good brewing. I feel your goodness brewing and your presence with us. Lord, I pray that your church, our church, will be instruments of peace, and may I be a vessel for you. Whatever is not true, let it fall away, and please use me through me in any way you would. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. So most of my life growing up, I have to say, I felt really good and confident about how I interacted in a crowd of people. Felt good about listening to people's stories, maybe telling a fun story myself, or wooing someone just a little bit. Felt good being in that space and being that person. As I became a mom in my early 20s, it was as if, honestly, with each child that I birthed, I birthed a little piece of myself as well piece of my brain to be exact. I think it was actually Pastor Mary who first articulated for me that when I'm out in a social situation, it's kind of as if I've got a quarter of my brain over here, another over there, and yet another somewhere over there. And so now with you know three kids and a puppy, I, you could say I've got about an eighth of a brain that I'm working with in any given social situation. So, you know, with this newfound way of socializing came with it some uncertainty and anxiety and for me a lot of that came from thinking about my children's well-being and safety years ago when working with my therapist who i adore she said that anxiety in and of itself you know it isn't a bad thing it's really information that comes with having instincts it's what we do with this anxiety as information that is important. But for me, and especially in those early days of being a mom, it was almost as if this information on how to keep my kids safe, at times it just felt like it swallowed me whole. And with all of the lack of sleep and this compounding information, I soon became someone that I no longer recognized. This began an unraveling in me, you could say, and changed how I began to view myself. I was in pain, and my prayerfulness, attentiveness to God, my mops group that I loved and got so much good from, and my Facebook posting for connection, it just wasn't cutting it. At times, at one time in particular that I remember I was In such mental anguish, I just remember yelling out to God, how could you let your daughter hurt like this? And sincerely, in that moment, just had this image of God swooping under my arms and planting my feet on a solid rock with just views of green and lavender, as funny as that may sound. Sometime later, I was together with my family and my brother, who is a loved Bible teacher at a nearby high school and well studied in the Bible and especially the Old Testament, he happened to be the last one to leave that night. And as if it just had needed to be questioned from my soul the, the whole time we were together, I asked him something to the effect of, Joe, I just cannot justify for God all of the crap in the world, all of the children being diagnosed with and dying of cancer and the suicides and the tragedy, all of the unbearable pain. If God is truly in control, how can this make sense? And with certainty, he just looked over at me. And I'll get to that in a second. This is not a good day to end my no mascara streak um, my mind swarmed with sayings from that I hear you know in Christian culture in the midst of heartache and struggle some that we might be hearing right now that God's plans are bigger than my plans and just let go and let God and God is in control you know don't worry just God is in control and I wholeheartedly believe and know know that God brings holiness and goodness out of the crud. And if this brings you comfort, my deepest fear is to steer anyone sincerely in the wrong direction. But for me and maybe others, in the thick of the muck and the struggle, the words that God is in control, feels a lot more like abandonment than it does comfort. If he is in control and I am in such pain, where is he? Where is his presence? Well, asking this from my heart felt a lot more like pleading because in this question too, wrapped up in it, was my own anxiety and depression and foreboding joy you know, of losing my healthy kids and this newfound uncertainty in social situations. He just tenderly looked over at me and he said, Kate, God doesn't have his hand on the trigger. And something about this just felt jarring and yet peaceful and started me on this journey to examine the mental image, the view that I hold of God. Have have you ever experienced an unraveling that led you to question our creator's compassion, his compassion towards you or our world? Maybe even in the situation that we're in right now is creating some uncertainty and anxiety in you. Maybe some anxiety about the pandemic. Am I going to get sick, will my children be protected? Maybe you're questioning God's presence in the midst of such inequality and injustice and tragedy that you're seeing and have seen for far too long. Or maybe you're in a place where you're in financial burden and trying to figure out the best way to care for your family. what will my future hold what is god doing when you're suffering do you ever wonder what god's face is towards you is he crying is he distant before we can think about or conceptualize what god can or cannot do it's important to think about what god's face is towards us How does he feel towards us? What is his face like? When we are suffering, what is God's face towards us? From Anne Belford-Ulinov, Picturing God must precede any speaking about God, for our pictures accompany all our words, and they continue long after we fall silent before God. Images, the language of the psyche, are the coin of life. They touch our emotions as well as our thoughts. They reach down into our bodies as well as towards our ideas. They arrive unbidden, startling, after our many years of effort to craft them. Also, according to the book, The God-Shaped Brain, there is mounting neurological evidence that a person's mental representation of God significantly affects their quality of life. For better or for worse. For example, it's a neurological fact that people who have a loving mental representation of God tend to have a greater capacity to think objectively about controversial matters and to make rational decisions than do people who have a threatening mental representation of God. So the story we tell ourselves begins with these sensations, and feelings, and images, and those merge into thought or word. So while it is imperative to know what we believe, have conviction, and memorize scripture, it is equally vital to think about the mental image we hold of God. From the book Cross Vision, it is entirely possible and common to have sound beliefs about God while all the while having horrendous mental representations about God. So, let's start here. What do you think of when you think of your best friend or your spouse? And or your spouse, maybe one and the same. I imagine you are not mentally reciting information about that person. They grew up here, they live there, they look like this, but rather you're getting this vivid image of what they look like in your mind. And if, In your mind you're thinking about them doing something loving towards you that will evoke feelings of goodness and love. And the reverse is true as well. Memories often begin as these images in our mind. It becomes not just the memory we would call but this vivid imagery that takes effect on our mind and emotion. So what does God look like? I imagine that we've pieced together what God looks like in our mind through, a little more passively, maybe through Bible stories we've heard growing up, or our culture, or artwork that we've seen. What does God look like? Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, the scripture that we heard in the beginning says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Okay, I'm gonna lift this up a little bit. (laughs) Um, The phrase exact representation carries with it the connotation of a wax seal that has been impressed with a stamp. So think the sign of a royal signature sealing a document in the ancient times. The imprint in the wax is the exact representation of the stamp. So similarly, Jesus, every nook and cranny, is the exact representation of our Father in heaven. Jesus' inner life is this exact representation of God. And yet so often I I have felt like somehow God is not always painted like Jesus. I came to a point in my faith where I honestly wasn't sure if Christianity was fully for me. I, I felt that, you know, the essence of God I know in my gut, in my rest, in the sway of the trees, and you know, perfectly timed butterfly coming by, or in the connectedness and ease of my Bible studies, or reading a good book, the beautiful, you know, revelations heard from my friends and mentors about God or small group study, all of these things. You know, the compassion and essence of the cross at times felt better matched by what I was seeing and hearing in those moments than some of some of mainstream Christianity. So what what is that about? How how could God be reflected in in so many ways, sometimes contrasting ways. Hmm. Well, Let's d- dive into that. A, a wise person, I don't know the author, said God made man in his image, and man being the gentleman that he is, returned the favor. Throughout history, man has displayed this tendency to create God in his own image making God to be on their side of war, to satiate their own desire for power, or to look a certain way. You know, perhaps all too often we see God as a reflection of ourselves or our personal aspirations or political ties when the truth is that God's full reflection is shown on the cross. So this makes me think, who or what in our culture today, Christian culture included, tells us what God is that is not in line with the character of Jesus? Where in my life am I allowing my preconceived ideas or upbringing or religion to, to dull the image of God's compassion and ultimate sacrificial picture and resurrection power that was played out for us on the cross? So one story that helped me think about this a little deeper, a Bible story that when teaching to preschoolers, I always had the urge to kind of whisper over parts of it. It's the story of Abraham sacrificing his son, Isaac, being asked to. So there was something about this story that made me feel this disconnect between the character of Jesus, that I'm supposed to see in all of God, right? They're one and the same. There felt like this contrast. Growing up, I remember learning about this story through the idea of Abraham and be loyal, be obedient like Abraham. Or also, as the Jesus was the, the Lamb was the foreshadowing of Jesus. And don't get me wrong, these are not bad at all. Just personally, like I said, I felt this contrast still between who God and Jesus were. So for me, asking further, what else might be going on here has been so pivotal and helpful in my faith. During the time of this story, and I I think this was really cool, so learning about it this way, maybe it's just me, but during the time of this story, it it was common for ancient Near Eastern pagan gods to require sacrifice, and even more specifically, child sacrifice. And it was the ultimate sign of loyalty to sacrifice your firstborn child. What if this story is somehow less about the revealing of Abraham's character and more about the revealing of God's true identity? What if somehow, you know, in this story, God is momentarily taking on these fearful projections and ideas of, who Abraham feared God might be? Is God, is my God and friend, really just like all the other gods, is he going to ask me to sacrifice my son that he promised me, that he gave me? What if in order to get close to him, he took on these projections, sacrificially and momentarily, to free him from those projections and fears in order to bring him to a place he longed for him to be a place of closeness and freedom and love, and one that clearly reflects the image of Jesus on the cross. This is just one way to think about it, but for me helps me think about how I might be projecting my, my own fears onto my preconceived image of who God is. How am I making God out to be in the image of gods of my time or my culture or religion? god i believe i'm feeling that god wants to save us from free us from reflecting him just in my own image free me from a burden of constructing him only seeing him in this way of a limiting viewer just as a projection of what i know of myself free me from even these preconceived fears of who we might be Perhaps my need for God to be in control is more about my own need for control, at least in the way I understand it, than it is about the true character of God. My God and friend wants to free me from the burden of only seeing him in a reflected image of what I know right now, And allow me to bask in the goodness of my creator and let that goodness reflect onto me and off of me, onto others, and off of others and back onto me, onto us. A passage that has helped me think in a different way about my default way of thinking about God comes from Psalm 131. The psalm compares God to a nursing mother and us to the quietness and contentment of a weaned child. Child with my head on God's chest, not getting what I want and yet content. What happens when we hear God described in in the feminine, imagining and seeing God with feminine aspects, thinking of God as my mother and that she cares for me as her own child. You know, we know God is not a man or a woman. We know that language fails us, and yet we keep trying you know, to grasp and learn about God's goodness in its entirety. In times in my life when I have questioned God's goodness and compassion towards me it has genuinely been helpful in my my faith journey to seek out God's face i hope and pray that we can seek God's face in any time of trouble and feel and soak up God's presence In all of its complexities and mystery and holiness, I'm not not certain of plans or the purpose of pain, but I am certain that God's presence is enough. It exists in the quiet and the stillness and miraculously exists in the space between us no matter how far or close that is right now. So when my eight-year-old Caleb was two, I was basically wrestling him to, I don't remember if it was to brush his teeth or to get in the bath, but he was throwing his head from side to side. And all of a sudden just stopped and looked in my eyes. And Caleb said, Mama, I see Taleb in your eyes. And I was just like, oh, of course, honey. And then realized, because I could see it too, that he saw his own reflection in my eyes. This has happened with my other two recently as well. They all of a sudden are caught by their reflection in my eyes, and they just pause and wonder for a bit. And I don't think it's a coincidence that God designed our eyes to reflect in this way. This can happen with God too. When we look into her eyes of love for us, we get a clearer vision of who we are. We are God's beloveds. God loves us. We are adored by our Creator. We see our own reflection reflected back to us in the loving gaze of our God. From 1 Corinthians 13 12 for now we see only our reflection as in a mirror but then face to face now I know in part but then I will know fully as I am fully known the more fully I am known by God as God's beloved loved child somehow the more clear I can see God's face And the clearer I see my creator, the more I can live out love. I'm so curious and would love to know what what would help you see God's gaze of love looking upon you right now, wherever you might be. And how do we take something mysterious like this, right? Right? And just all this thinking about what we're thinking. How do we take something like this and apply it to our life today? I have to say, for me, it's been really helpful to think about, thinking about God's face as also, how can I cultivate more of God's presence in my life? I like to think about time when I can take in God's presence and time when I can intentionally connect with others in God's presence. I absolutely love centering prayer, and it's a lot like meditation um but for me it's a it's a little different for me it is a great reminder of i am not my thoughts i am not all these ideas moving through my mind on a feed right i god's my soul and god's presence exists beyond that if that's something that you're interested in learning about Shoot me an email, somehow I'll get my email to you, and I would love to talk to you about God anytime. I love, just that's my favorite thing. Or I will connect you with someone that knows more about it than I do. But today, as our main takeaway, I would love to think about face-to-face time. How can we intentionally have face-to-face time with the ones that we're with? my favorite parenting philosophy from positive parenting solutions okay is i absolutely love it i don't always do it but i love it is this idea of having 10 minutes every day twice a day with each kid it kind of sounds easy but it's surprisingly impossible Um, and it's the idea that every kid has a certain amount of love and control or power that they They need to reach every day they have these two buckets and they will fill them up whether it be in positive or negative ways so the idea is that we meet those needs with this intentional undistracted they can feel if i'm thinking about something else and they can feel if i see if i'm quickly scrolling through my phone undistracted intentional face-to-face time and i just so feel that as a child of god i need that too and yet god is spirit and i can't literally look into the eyes of my creator so how can i do that we we know that we are each made in the image of god and i am called to be an ambassador for jesus so i have to throw out another quote of course from a musical (laughs) Lame is there's a line in there that I just love. They say, to love someone is to see the face of God. To love someone is to see the face of God. When I choose to love the one that I'm with, I get the opportunity to get a glimpse of my Creator. Now, I don't get to see my Creator in its entirety until after this life. So there's something that feels holy and sacred about seeking and seeing Jesus as much as I can with the ones that I'm with. Something about that feels like blurring the lines of heaven and earth, and that feels like just a life worth living. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, his loving gaze toward you, upon you, and give you peace. Amen.